Hello, my good friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. This is going to be episode 18 of this year of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar, and this is The Informed Catholic, and I'm your host. So, um, a while back, I did The Way of the Pilgrim, uh, which is a classic Russian Orthodox uh, mystical tale. It's um, mysticism is sort of like a way of uniting yourself to God, to completely surrendering and living with the presence of God in your life, in your mind, in your thoughts, to constantly, it's a continuous way of prayer. Basically, the way of the pilgrim is the Jesus prayer story, uh, basically about the Jesus prayer. It's this pilgrim who wanted to know how to pray unceasingly. He walked in into the church and he heard the readings, which was pray without ceasing. And he wanted to know how does one pray without ceasing? Well, he's, he pursued it. That's an act of prayer to pursue the answer to have, to seek a spiritual director, a guide to show you how to pray. And he did find a few people, but he needed to know how, how does one start? Um, they all gave him eloquent answers, very intellectual answers, but you need to someone to show you how, what does it mean to pray without ceasing when one has to also attend to all other important things and functions of life. We are physical creatures. We need to work. We need to uh, to at attend to our uh, needs. We need to attend to our responsibilities. But how do you do it? You offer basically the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And this is basically, yes, it's a constant repetitive prayer said on the um, Russian, I guess you can say, version of the rosary, which is a, a prayer rope. The author here calls it rosary, and it's sort of right, but not entirely. A prayer rope is usually has a hundred knots, or sometimes it can be made with beads, where one can say repetitively, it's usually broken up into 25, I think, sometimes, uh, with one knot in between, and uh, that's a different color. Um, and then it adds up to 100 prayers a day, and you say it over and over again. But what you're doing is you're consecrating, you're sanctifying your whole day, your actions, your um, everything that you do, you're saying it with a prayer and you're offering it up as a prayer. You know how we Catholics often say, offer it up as a sacrifice. You can't do anything. Even I've learned such as fasting. If you don't first have the desire for prayer, you have to have to have a desire for prayer. It doesn't begin easy. It's not going to come to you that easily. You could have all these glorified, um, very uh, sanctimonious, high idea of, of being holy, but it has to be done with humility. You have to admit first that 
you're a sinner. You have to face your sins. The attitude of a very glorified attitude is really is very vain. It comes first out of vanity, like the Pharisee. We have to first admit that we are sinners. And we also have to face the sinful things in our life. I, I have a lot of things that I liked. For example, I had all these stupid hobbies, uh, addictions. One of them is my comic books, right? They're distractions. Sometimes they are distractions. Also buying a lot of books. I love to buy books and sometimes I buy a lot of stupid stuff. And for example, my, um, I like to draw and I like to paint. I've made some good icons. They're not the best icons, but they're okay. And I really want to do things for Christ. But there's one problem. You can't do anything. You can't give up your sinful addictions like pornography, right? Other things like uh, buying things that are distractive, you know, that, that distract you from, from your problems, from your sinful situation. Like, for example, buying uh, stupid books. What are you going to, are you really going to read that book? All right. Do you really need this? Do you really need that? Sometimes it's basically a, a, a spiritual problem. It's a deeper spiritual problem. You can't give up anything without first facing the problem, facing it and asking yourself, what's the, what is the sin behind it? What sinful situation do you have? What is holding you back? Like, for example, gluttony. I have an overweight problem. I'm selfish. I'm greedy. And sometimes I like certain foods and sometimes certain things I don't need, but it's also basically a bad habit. It's a sign of unhappiness. It's a sign of sin. You don't want, we don't want to change. We don't want to give up our sins. We don't want to give up this particular way of life because we don't want to change. You know, remember like the Israelites leaving Egypt, getting out of Egypt. Egypt is captivity towards sin. It's a captivity towards a sinful way of life. They'd rather go back to the flesh pots of Egypt, to being slaves to their sin, being slave to someone else, and being held under the power of someone else because they will take care of you. So you don't have to take care of yourself or you don't have to depend on God. I'm sorry, that's wrong. To surrender to the, to, to the Lord, to surrender to his providence, to allow him to make you into a holy person. This is why people often turn to other things and let other things take power of them over them because it's hard to die to self and to live in Christ. It's no one wants the spiritual battle. 
spiritual combat. But you don't do it on your own. You got to do it in Christ. You got to do it with the help of the sacraments, the Eucharist. Prayer, persistence in prayer. No one wants to do that. No one wants to do that. Examination of conscience. I have a struggle with self-examination of conscience. But when the more you pray, the more you begin to, you know, you ask the Lord, please help me. Another thing is, I've learned from Father Chris Alar, we often ignore the third person of the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, the divine love, the sanctifier of the Father and the Son, who comes from the Father and the Son as equally worshipped and glorified. God, the Holy Spirit. We often forget that. He who proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is equally worshipped and glorified. Also, he is spouse, the divine spouse of the Holy Mar of, of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Holy Virgin Mary, the Immaculate Conception. Because she is the Immaculate Conception in the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy God the Father sanctified and preserved the soul of the Virgin Mary so she can be the mother of God the Son and she is close to the Holy Spirit. She will help us to be holy. She will pray for us. Anyway, let's begin with the story. Let's continue. Part two, the way of the pilgrim. Okay, here, let's begin. For a long time, I traveled through various places with, G with the Jesus prayer as my companion. The prayer was my comfort and my courage in all ways in all my wanderings, excuse me. The prayer was my comfort and my courage in all my wanderings, encounters and situations. But it occurred to me how convenient it would be to have a permanent place to stay. I would be alone and could study the Philaclia, which up to this time I read only when I took shelter for the night or when I rested during the day. Now I had a desire to delve to delve into it more deeply with faith, to draw from it the wisdom and direction for working out my salvation by means of the prayer of the heart. However, my efforts to find a job were unsuccessful because of my handicapped left arm, which I've had since childhood, so I had to forget about having a place of my own. Instead, I decided to travel in the direction of Siberia, where I could visit the tomb of, Bish of Bishop Innocent of Irktusk. My intentions was to find solitude in the Siberian woods and steeps, which would be, which would be conducive to my study and, and prayer. All right, let me stop here. The Philaclia was a book given to him by a monk, and it's sort of like instructions, spiritual instructions of Orthodox saints. It's a, a book. You can get it on Kindle. It's just basically a collection of spiritual instructions. Let's, I'll summarize it like that. Let's continue. So I set out on my journey to Siberia, and I continued to recite the Jesus prayer vocally. After some time, I felt that the prayer was 
somehow entering the heart by itself. The words of the prayer seem to be formulated according to the rhythm of the heartbeat, which is one Lord, two Jesus, three Christ. I stopped vocalizing the prayer and began to listen attentively as the heart spoke. And I remembered the words of my late elder in describing this joy. Then I felt a slight pain in the heart and such love towards Jesus Christ that I wished I could throw myself at his feet, lovingly embrace them and thank him for his for this great consolation which he gave in in his mercy and love to his unworthy and sinful creature uh, sinful creatures creature though uh, through his name then i experienced a kind of blessed warmth in the heart which spread throughout my whole breast this experience led me to a more diligent re- reading of the of philaclia to check out my my feelings and to learn about the prayer of the heart without this test i was afraid of falling into a deception of seeing natural acts as heavenly ones and giving into pride that i had learned the prayer so quickly my late spiritual father had warned me of all this so i walked more by night and spent the days sitting under the trees in the forest and reading the philaclia how Ah, uh, how much new insight and wisdom were were revealed to me in this reading. Through the pra- through this practice, I tested, I tasted sweetness I had not imagined up to this time. And when some, uh, when some of the accounts were not clear to my dull mind, the prayer of the heart enlightened my understanding. And at times, I saw my late elder in my dreams, and he explained many things to me. But above all, he directed my my unthinking soul to humility. I spent almost two summer months in such blessedness. I walked mostly through the woods on country roads. And if I passed a village, I would stop and ask for some bread, a handful of salt and some water. And then I would continue my journey for about a hundred verstas. I guess it's supposed to be miles or something i guess you know either because of my sinfulness or because i had to learn certain lessons about spiritual life at the end of the summer there were trails in the store there were trials in store for me i was walking on a wide road when toward evening two men who looked like soldiers caught up with me and demanded money when i tried to tell them that i did not have even uh any money they did not believe me and and imprudently cried you are lying pilgrims collect a lot of money one of the men remarked why continue to speak with him and then he hit me in the head with a club so that i fell to the ground unconscious i don't know how long i lay there unconscious but when i came to i saw that i was lying in the woods close to the road all torn my knapsack was gone only the cord in which i carried it was there Glory be to God, they did not take my passport, which I kept in my old cap for convenience sake. If the authorities asked for it, I could easily get get to it. I got up and began to weep bitterly, not so much because of the pain in my head as for my lost books. The Bible and the Philaclia were in the knapsack, and now they were gone. Day and night I could not stop my tears and sorrow as I thought. 
Where is the Bible which I read since I was a little boy and which I always kept close to my heart? Where is my philacle from which I gained so much guidance and comfort? I was mostly unhappy without my two treasures, for I had not been sufficiently fed on them. It would not have it would have been better if they had killed me than to have left me without my spiritual nourishment. How could I ever replace those books? Okay. For two days, I could hardly move my feet. Sorrow had so exhausted me. But on the third day, I lost all my strength and slumped under the bushes and fell asleep. I had a dream. I was in the hermitage in the cell of my spiritual father, grieving over my loss. The elder comforted me and said, This is a lesson for you on detachment from material things so that your path to heaven will be more direct. This was permitted so that you would not fall into spiritual complacency. God wants a Christian to renounce completely his will, his desires, and his weakness and give himself up to God's will totally. He, he directs all happenings for the salvation of man. He wants everyone to be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. You can... Trust God not to allow you to be tried beyond your strength. With any tr with any trial, He will give you give you a way out of it and the strength to bear it. First Corinthians chapter ten verse thirteen. Soon, your joy will be far will, will will far surpass your present suffering. At these words, I woke up feeling strengthened. Light and peace seemed to flood my soul. May God's will be done, I said. Blessed, I blessed myself and started on my way. The prayer was again, once again, on, once again, the prayer was once again begun to function in my heart. I walked in peace for three days. Then suddenly I saw on the road a group of prisoners under military escort. When I came all the way up to them, I recognized the two men who had robbed me, and as they were some distance from the others, I felt I fell at their feet and earnestly implored them to tell me what had happened to my books. At first, they did not pay any attention to me, and then said, "If you will give us something, then we will tell you where they are. Where they are? Give us a ruble." I swore that I would give them a ruble without fail if they had if I had to beg for it, and I offered them my passport as a pledge. They told me that the books were in the cart with the other stolen goods. How could I get to them, I asked. Ask the officer in charge of the transport. I went to the officer and explained my situation to him in detail. Among other things, he asked me, can you really read the Bible? Not only can I read, but I can write also, I answered. You can see my name in the Bible, and you can check it out against my passport. Notice they don't give us his name, because he's us. We're him, and he's us. So we have to be, we are the pilgrim. The officer then told me, these swindlers, the runaway soldiers, lived in, um, in dugouts, shelters, um, and robbed many people. Yesterday, even a clever coachman caught them as they were about to steal a, a, a trochia, 
a group a group of three, I guess. I don't know what that is from him. I guess money for likely, very likely your books are here and I will give them to you. But there's no need for you to leave the the transport. You can stay with us for the night. This, the station is only about four miles away. I'll, I won't say versed as I'll say four miles away. I gladly walked by the officer's riding horse and we, and we continued with our conversations. I noticed that he was a good man, honest, an honest man of my middle years. He asked about my origins and destination, and I answered all his questions with complete honesty. Soon we came to the, situ- the station. He found my books, gave them to me, and again he invited me to spend the night with him. I accepted his invitation and stayed. When I received my books, I was so overjoyed that I did not know how to thank God. I placed them close to my heart and held them there for so long with my hands uh, long that my hands became stiff. Tears of joy streamed down my face and my heart beat as if in ecstasy. The offer seeing this display of affection said to me, it's quite obvious that you love the Bible. In my, jo- in my joy, I cannot even answer him. And I just continued crying. He went on, dear brother, I also read the gospel every day. With this, uh, with this, he unbuttoned his coat and pulled out a small Kiev edition of the Gospels bound in silver. Sit down, I will tell you what brought me to this. Let's have some supper. We sat down to table, and the officer began his story. I have served in the army ever since I was quite a young man. I knew my duties and was a favorite of my superiors. As a conscientious officer, I was young. I was young, as were also my friends, and unhappy. I started drinking. It went it went from bad to worse until drinking became an illness. When I did not drink, I was a good officer, but when I would start drinking, then I would have to go to bed for six weeks. My superiors were patient with me for a long time, but finally, due to rudeness to, to the commanding officer while I was drunk, they reduced my rank to private and transferred me to a garrison for three years. They threatened me with more severe punishments if I would not improve and give up drinking. In this unfortunate condition, all my efforts at self-control were of no avail, and I could no, I could no longer stay sober for any length of time. Then I heard that I was to be sent to the guardhouse, and I was beside myself with anguish. One day, I was sitting in the barracks, deep in thought. A monk came in to to beg for alms for the church. Those who had money gave what they could. When he approached me, he asked, Why are you so downcast? We started talking, and I told him the cause of my grief. The monk sympathized with my situation and said, My brother was once in a similar position, and I will tell you how he was cured. His spiritual father gave him a copy of the Gospels and strongly urged him to read a chapter whenever he wanted to drink. Though the desire for a drink did not leave him after he read one chapter, he um, he was encouraged to read another, and if necessary, still another. 
my brother followed this advice. And after some time, he lost all desire for alcohol beverages. It is now 15 years since he has touched a drop of alcohol. Why don't you do the same? And you will discover how beneficial the readings of the gospel can be. I have a copy at home and would gladly bring it to you. I wasn't, I wasn't very open to this idea, so I objected. How can your gospels help when neither my efforts at self-control nor medical aid could keep me sober? I spoke in this way because I never read the gospel. Give it a chance, continued the monk reassuringly, and you will find it very helpful. The next day, he brought me this copy of the gospel. I opened it. I browsed through it and said, I will not take it for I cannot understand it. I am not accustomed to reading church Slavonic. The monk did not give up, but continued to encourage me and explain that gospel that God's special power is present in the gospel through his words. He went on, at the beginning, be concerned only with reading it diligently. Understanding will come later. One holy man says that even when you don't understand the word of God, the demands, the demons do, and they tremble, and the passion for drink is without a doubt their work. All right, let me read that passage again. This is pretty good. One holy man says that even when you don't understand the word of God, the demons do, and they tremble, and the passion for drink is without a doubt their work. And St. John Chrysostom, in speaking about the power of the word of God, says that the very room where the gospel is kept has power to ward off the spirits of darkness toward their intrigues. I do not recall what what I gave the monk when I took the copy of the gospel from him, but I placed the book in my trunk with my other belongings and forgot about it. Sometime later, a strong desire to have drink took hold of me, and I opened the trunk to get some money and, turn, and to run to the tavern, but I saw the copy of the gospels before I got to the money, and I remembered clearly what the monk had told me. I opened the book, and read the first chapter of Matthew without understanding anything. Again, I remembered the monk's word at the beginning, be concerned only with reading it diligently. Understanding will come later. So I read another chapter and found it a bit more comprehensible. Shortly after I began reading the third chapter, the curfew bell rang and it was no longer possible for me to leave the barracks. In the morning, my first thought was to get a drink, but then I decided to read another chapter to see what would happen. I read it and did not go. Again, I wanted a drink, but I started to reading and I felt better. This gave me courage, and with every temptation for drink, I began reading a chapter from the Gospels. The more I read, the easier it became, and when I finally finished reading all four Gospels, the compulsion for drink had disappeared completely. I was, I was repelled by, by the very thought of it. It is now 20 years since I stopped drinking alcohol beverages. Everyone was surprised at the changes that took place in me. And after three years, I was reinstated as an officer and then climbed up the ranks until I, until I was made commanding officer. Later, I married a fine woman. We have saved some money, which we now share 
with the poor. Now I have grown, uh, I have a grown son who is a fine lad, and he also is an officer in the army. When I was cured of my drinking, I made a vow to read the Gospels every day. The account of the evangelists in twenty in in twenty four hours, and I and I allow no obstacle to interfere with this practice. When duties and responsibilities are great, and I am very tired, when I retire at night, then I have my wife or my son read one gospel to me, and in this way I am faithful to my promise. Out of gratitude and for the glory of God, I had this gospel bound in silver and I carried it on my breast faithfully. I was glad to hear the captain relate the story, and then I added, I know of a similar case. In the factory of our village, there was a skilled worker, a good and valuable foreman, who unhappily fell into the habit of drinking. Then a God-fearing man suggested that he say the Jesus prayer 33 times in honor of the Blessed Trinity, and thirty-three, and the thirty-three years of God of Christ's earthly life, the foreman took this advice to heart and began reciting the Jesus prayer, and soon gave up drinking completely. And what is more, within the three years of this experience, he entered a monastery. And what is more valuable? The Jesus Prayer or the Gospels, asked the captain. They are equal in importance, I answered, because the, the holy name of Jesus Christ contains within itself all truths of the Gospel. The Holy Fathers say that, that the Jesus Prayer is the abbreviated form of the Gospels. After this conversa conver conversation, we prayed. The captain then read the Gospel according to St. Mark, while I listened and prayed within my heart. At two o'clock in the morning, we finished and went to bed. From habit, I rose early the next morning while all were yet asleep. And as soon as, I, as, soon as there was sufficient light, I, I threw myself into my beloved Philaclia. Without, with what joy I, I opened it. It was similar to a reunion between father and a son after a long absence or reunion with a friend who rose from the dead i kissed the book and thanked god for returning it to me and began reading the section of theoloptus of of uh, philadelphia in which he explains that a man can perform three distinct actions at the same time while sitting at table he can nourish his body listen to a spirit listen to a spiritual reading, and pray interiorly with great joy. I remembered the previous evening which illustrated this reading, and I realized that the mind and the heart are not the... This is this interesting? And I realized that the mind and the heart are not the same. When the captain got up, I went to thank him for his hospitality and to say goodbye. He gave me some tea and a ruble and... Then we parted. After walking some distance, I remembered my promise to the soldier, for I now unexpectedly had a ruble. For a moment, there was a conflict in my mind. Should I or should I not give it to them? After all, they had, been, they had beaten me and robbed me, and since they were under 
arrest. I could not use the money, and uh, they could not use the money anyway. But I also thought of what it, of what it, of what is written in the Bible: If your enemy is hungry, you should give him food. Romans chapter twelve verse twenty. And Christ himself says, love your enemies, Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. And if a man takes you to law and would have you have your, tu have your tunic, let him have your cloak as well, Matthew chapter 5, verse 40. So, in the end, I returned to the station, and as I came close to it, I noticed that the bandits were out. They were ready to be transported to another station. I ran hurriedly toward the two men who had robbed me and gave them the ruble and said, Repent and pray. Jesus Christ loves you and will not abandon you. Then I left them and went on my way. Wow. I walked for about 50 miles on a big road and then I decided to take a country road in order to have more solitude to read the Philaclia. For a long time, I went through the woods, and only occasionally would I see a village. Sometimes I would spend the whole day in the forest, uh, conscientiously reading, uh, conscientiously reading the Philaclia. I would, I was getting knowledge and wisdom from this book, and my heart was becoming kindled towards union with God by any means of the interior prayer which I was learning. But at times I felt downcast that I had no permanent place where I could study peacefully and continuously. During this time, I also read the Bible, and I felt that I was beginning to understand it more clearly. In the past, so much seemed incomprehensible, and I was often in, a, in doubt. The Holy Fathers are right in saying that the Philacula is a key to the mysteries found in Holy Scripture. My earnest reading of the Philaclia was helping me to understand God's word. I was beginning to get an insight into such an idea as the conversion of the heart, real prayer, worship in the spirit and in truth. The kingdom of God is within us. The spirit himself expresses our plea in, in the way that, that could never be put into words. Abide in me. Son, give me your heart. Put on Christ. The pledge the spirit that we carry in our hearts, the call of the heart, Abba, Father, etc., and etc. When I began to pray with the heart, everything around me be became transformed, and I saw it in a new and delightful way. The trees, the grass, the earth, the air, the light, and everything seemed to be saying to me that exists to witness to God's love for man, and that it and that it praise and sings of God's glory. Now I understand what I had read in the Philaclia about the creature's knowledge of speech, and I saw how it was possible to communicate with God's creation. For a long time I continued walking in this manner, and then I came upon such a deserted area that for three days I did not see a village. My bread was all gone, and I became very hungry and fatigued. What if I die of hunger, I thought. But as soon as I began to pray with the heart, the fatigue passed. I resigned myself to the will of God once again. And once again, I was happy and at peace. Soon after, 
as I was passing by a very thick forest, I suddenly saw a dog running out of the woods as I called the dog to myself and, and played with him for a while. I was thinking that this was indeed a divine providence. Undoubtedly, there were animals in these woods, and this dog belonged to either to a shepherd or to a hunter. I would be able to get a bit of bread somehow, or at least ask about the nearest village. The dog fixed about me for a while, and then, seeing that I had nothing to give him, ran back on the same narrow path from which he came. I followed the foot footpath and some distance and then saw the dog in his in, in his hole barking from behind a large tree came a middle-aged man emaciated and pale he asked me how i happened to come there and in i in turn asked him what he was doing in in that solitary place and so we started a friendly conversation the man invited me to his hut and told me that he was a woodsman guarding the forest which had been sold to be felt, uh, I guess cut. He gave me some bread and salt, and we continued our conversation. How I envy you, I said. You can live here in, in the peaceful solitude, away from people not like me, roaming from place to place and jostling among all kinds of people. You're welcome to live here also, he said. There is an old hut not far from here, which which uh, belonged to the former woodsman, and though it is in disrepair, it is possible to live in it during the summer. As long as you have your passport, you can stay here. You will have enough bread, as I have some brought to me from the village. Every week, and, a clo and close by, we have a brook which never dries. For the past ten years, brother, I also have been eaten eaten only bread and drunk water, nothing else. But here is the situation. In the fall, when harvesting is finished, then about 200 workmen will come to cut down this forest, and then neither you nor I can live here. I was so happy that I did not know how to thank God for this blessing. I was ready to fall at my benefactor's feet. What I had desired and longed for, I now unexpectedly received. I would have almost four months of solitude, and I could use this quiet and peaceful time for careful reading of the philacula. I could learn more about attaining the ceaseless prayer of the heart, and so I gladly accepted the temporary lodging which was offered to me. Then I talked some more with my host and brother, and he began to tell me about his ideas on life. I was a respected citizen in my village, he said. I had my own business. I dyed cotton and linen fabrics, and I was satisfied with my life, though I was not without sin. I cheated my customers. I swore and drank, quarreled. There was an old lector in our village who had a very old book about the Last Judgment. He would make the rounds among the Orthodox Christians, and for some donation he would read to them from the from, his, from this book he visited me also uh for 10 uh copics money he would read through the night till cockrow and as i worked i heard how the angels will blow their trumpets and god will judge the living and the dead how the living will change and the dead will rise i heard 
about the sufferings of hell, about the fire, the pitch, and the worms. Once, as I listened, I was overwhelmed with a sudden terror. I began thinking of changing my lifestyle. Perhaps I would make up for my sins, I thought, and though, and thought finally, give up my business, sold my house, and took this job. I only asked that the community would provide me with bread, clothes, and candles for the services. So this is how I had lived for more than 10 years. I, I ate only bread and drank water once a day. Every morning I, I rise at cock crow and make, uh, my, uh, make protestations till dawn. When I pray, I light seven candles before the icons. During the day, when I guard the forest, I wear heavy chains next to my skins. skin. I do not use abusive language, do not quarrel with anyone. I do not drink beer or wine, and I have never had anything to do with women. At first, this lifestyle appeal, appealed to me, but light, lately I have been plagued with disturbing thoughts. God only knows whether it is possible to make up for one's sins, and life is full of hardship. Is what I heard from the book really true? Do people really rise from the dead? Even the dust is gone from, from a person who died a hundred years ago. Who knows whether there is a hell? No one has ever returned from the other world. It seems to me that I, it seems to me that when a man dies, his body decays and he disappears without leaving a trace. And is it possible that the book was written by clerics and spiritual leaders to frighten us ignorant ones so that we could we would live more humbly? Life on earth is difficult. There is no little joy in it. And if there is anything in the next world, then what is it all about? Isn't it better to take life more lightly and live more happily? Thoughts like these were these war against me, and I wondered whether I should not return to my former work. I felt sorry for him when I heard all this, and I thought they say that not only the educated and intelligent ones are free thinkers who do not believe in anything, but here one of our peasants is full of doubts and skepticism. It is easy to see that the world of darkness has access to all and perhaps even more to the uneducated ones. For this reason, it is necessary as much as possible to acquire wisdom and to strengthen oneself with the word of God against the spiritual enemy. So in order to help this brother and strengthen his faith, I took the phylactery out of my knapsack, opened it to chapter 109 of Venerable Hasikasas and read it and then began to explain to him that abstaining from sinful actions and fear of suffering are not sufficient for spiritual life, that only the guarding of the mind and purity of the heart will free one's soul from sinful thoughts, that the inner freedom can be attained only through interior prayer. And I repeat it, not only through fear of the sufferings of hell or even the desire, desire for the bliss of heaven, the Holy Fathers consider even heroic deeds as the acts of, uh, of a hireling. They claim that the fear of suffering is the way of a slave and that the desires for reward is the way of a hireling. 
But God wants us to come to him on the path of a son, motivated by love and zeal for his glory. And we should conduct ourselves with honor and joy, his saving presence in our hearts and souls. No matter how you drive yourself, I continued, how much efforts you exert, and what kind of special physical feats you accomplish, if you do if you do not constantly walk in the presence of God, with ceaseless prayer in your heart, then you will never have peace from disturbing thoughts, and you will always have an inclination towards sin, even in small matters. I suggest, brother, that you learn how to recite the Jesus prayer unceasingly. It should be easy for you to do this here in solitude, and you can soon reap its benefits. You will be free from ungodly thoughts, and you will experience both faith and love in Jesus Christ. You will know how the dead will rise, and you will truly understand how God will judge the living and the dead. You will be surprised at the comfort and joy the prayer will bring into your heart. You will no longer be bored or confused about your repented form of life. Then, to the best of my ability, and as directed as by Holy Scripture and the writings of the Holy Fathers, I taught him how to begin, how to continue the Jesus prayer. He seemed receptive to all this and became peaceful. So we parted, and I shut myself in the little dip, uh, um, uh, home hut which he had shown me dear lord what joy peace and consolation i experienced the moment i crossed the threshold of that hut which seemed to me like a magnificent royal palace full of every comfort and luxury with joyful tears i thank god for this solitude and thought now in this place and quiet, I should apply myself continuously to my study and ask God for understanding. So I began to read the Philacula very attentively from beginning to end. In short time, I read the whole book and realized what wisdom, holiness, and depth it contained. However, since the book contains so many varied themes and exhortations, I could understand everything. I was unable to pull all the ideas together particularly about interior prayer, so that I could learn the ceaseless self-activating prayer of the heart. And this is precisely what I long for, as the Apostle Paul directs, be ambitious for the higher gifts, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, and never try to suppress the Spirit, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. I thought and thought, but was incapable of understanding this. There was no one to explain it to me. I will implore the Lord in prayer, I thought, and he will help me to understand it somehow. So I prayed ceaselessly for 24 hours, not stopping even for a little while. My thoughts quieted down and I fell asleep. I had a dream in which I saw myself in the cell of my late elder and he was explaining the phylacula to me. This book is full of wisdom. It is a secret treasure of of illustrations of the hidden judgments of God. And although it is not readily available to everyone, it does not contain instructions for all. It has profound it has profound sayings for the wise and simple ones for the for the simple minded. Yet simple ones therefore ought to not read it 
in chronological order, for that order is theological. The uneducated person wishing to learn about interior prayer should read the Philicola in the following order. The book of Nicephorus, the solitary, in the second part. The book of Gregory of Sinai, with exceptions of the short chapters. 3. Simon, the new theologian, about the three forms of prayer and lessons on faith. 4. The book of Celestus and Ignatius. The writings of these fathers contain complete direction from about interior prayer of the heart and can be easily understood by everyone. If, however, you desire even more simple information regarding interior prayer, then find the summarized version of Patriarch Celestus of Constantinople in the fourth part of the book. I held the copy of the Philica in my hands and was looking for the mentioned section, but I was slow in finding it. Then the elder himself turned a few pages and said, Here it is. I will mark it for you. And picking up a piece of charcoal from the floor, he made a mark in the margin where the passage was found. I listened attentively to all that the elder explained and tried to remember it. It was still dark when I woke up, so I lay there and recalled the dream I had and what the elder had told me. I found myself thinking, God knows whether it was the soul of the elder which I saw or perhaps just my imagination since I think so much about the elder and the follicular. I, I, I got up with this perplexing question in my mind, and to my astonishment I saw on the stone which served as my table the copy of Philicula and opened it to the very page which the elder had shown me, and the section marked exactly as I saw in the dream, and even the charcoal was lying beside the book. I was completely amazed, as I remembered distinctly that the book was not there the night before. It was close and was at the head of the bed, and I was also sure that there was no mark of any kind in that section before. This incident strengthened my faith in dreams and in the holiness of my departed spiritual father. Now I began to read the Philicola in the order pointed out to me, and I read it once and then a second time. The reading enkindled in my heart a desire and zeal to experience all that I read for now. I understood clearly what interior prayer is, what means are necessary to reach it, with the results of it, are, uh, what, what the results of it are, how it fills the heart and soul with joy, and how to recognize whether the joy is from God or from nature, or whether it is a deception. My, heart, my first practical step was to find the place of the heart according to the directions of Simon, the new theologian. I closed my eyes and imagined looking into my heart. My desire was to visualize the heart in the, le in the left press, breast and to listen attentively to its beating. At first, I was occupied like this for a half an hour for several times a day. At the beginning, I was now I was not aware of anything but darkness. And then slowly, the heart appeared, and I noticed its movements. Then I began to say the Jesus prayer, interiorly to the rhythm of my breathing, according to the direction of Saint Gregory of Sinai, and of Celestius and Ignatius. That that is while looking into the heart, and inhaling, I said, Lord Jesus Christ, 
and while exhaling, have mercy on me. At first, I did this for an hour or two. Then I increased it so that the that in the end, I spend pr uh, practically the entire day in this exercise. When doubts or, he or heaviness or slothfulness would come upon me, I would promptly read the section of the follicular which speaks of the activity of the heart, and in this way I, I would renew my desire and zeal for prayer. After three weeks, I began to feel pain in the heart, then a very pleasant warmth, delight, and peace. This encouraged me even more earnestly earnestly practice a prayer so that all that all of my thoughts were now directed to this, and I experienced great joy from this time. Practically, I began to experience various feelings and perceptions in my heart and mind. Sometimes I felt sweet burning in my heart and such ease, freedom, and consolation. Then that I seemed to be transformed and caught up in an ecstasy. Sometimes I experienced burning love towards Jesus Christ and all of God's creations. Sometimes I shed joyful tears and thanksgiving to God for his mercy to me, a great sinner. Sometimes difficult concepts became crystal clear and new ideas came to me which I myself could not have imagined. Sometimes the warmth of the heart overflowed throughout my being and with tenderness I experienced God's presence within me. Sometimes I felt great joy in calling on the names of Jesus Christ. I realized the meaning of the words, the kingdom of God is within you. Luke chapter 17, verse 21. These and similar consolations led me to conclude that the fruits of the prayer of the heart can be experienced in three ways. In the spirit, in the emotions, and in revelations, in the spirit, one can experience the sweetness of the love of God, inner peace, purity of thought, awareness of God's presence, and ecstasy. In the emotions, a pleasure warmth of the heart, a feeling of delight throughout one's being, joyful bubbling in the heart, lightness and courage, joy of life and indifference to sickness and sorrow. And in Revelation, one receives the enlightenment of the mind, understanding of Holy Scripture, knowledge of speech of all creatures, renunciations of vanities, awareness of awareness of the sweetness of interior life, and confidence in the nearness of God and His love for us. After after spending almost <clears throat> five months in this prayerful occupation and enjoyment. Of the mentioned gifts, I got so accustomed to the prayer of the heart that I, that I practiced it without ceasing, and finally, I felt that the prayer of its the, the prayer of itself, without any effort in my my part in my on my part, began to function both in my mind and heart. It was active, both day and night, without the slightest interruption, regardless of what I was doing. My soul praised God, and my heart overflow, overflow, overflowed with joy. Then came the time for the forest to be cut. The workers began coming. It was necessary for me to leave my silent dwelling. I thanked the forests for its, for his, uh, the forester for his hospitality, and said my prayers. Kissed the spot on the earth in which God made me worthy of His mercy. Took the knapsack with my books and left. For a very long time, I wandered from place to place until I arrived at Itikstuk, self. 
activity, uh, activating prayer of the heart was my consolation and my joy on the entire journey. It brought me comfort various degrees under all circumstances. When, whenever I found myself or whatever I was doing, it did not direct me from anything and nothing seemed to diminish it. If I had something to do, then the prayer flowed in me and the action was done more quickly. If I attentively listened to something or read, the prayer did not cease. And simultaneously it felt, uh, simultaneously felt the one and the other, almost as if there were two of me, as if I had two souls in my body. My God, how mysterious man is. Yahweh, what varieties you have created, ar arranging everything so wisely. Psalm 104, verse 24. In my wandering, I also encountered many mysterious incidents. To speak about all of them would take more than 24 hours, but I would like to mention a few of them. On early uh, One early evening in winter, I was walking alone through the woods toward a town which I could, I could already see and where I wanted to find lodging. Suddenly, a big wolf came upon me and jumped at me. I had two. I had. I. I had the woolen rosary, which I, which, which had belonged to my late elder, in my hands. And in my attempt to defend myself with it, the rosary slipped out of my hands and lodged around the neck of the wolf. The wolf jumped away from me and got caught in a thorny bush, with his hind legs, and with the rosary on a branch of of, of a dry tree. He tried desperately to free himself but was unable to because the rosary was choking him. Without with, with faith, I blessed myself, went to free the wolf, and especially get my pre precious rosary, for I feared that the wolf would run away with it. And sure enough, the moment I approached the wolf and touched the rosary, he broke it and ran away without leaving a trace. I thanked God for his help in retrieving my rosary, and I remembered my late elder, then I happily arrived at the town, stopped in, stopped at an inn to ask for lodging. As I came inside the, the house, I saw two distinguished-looking men, one elderly and the other middle-aged, and rather stout. They were sitting at the table in the far corner of the room drinking tea. I, I asked the pleasant... The pleasant uh, I asked the peasant who was sitting, who was attending to their horses about them and he told me that the elder man was a public school teacher and the other a clerk of a distinct court both of the men are of noble birth he said and i'm and i am taking them to market about 20 uh, miles from here i sat there for a whole for a while and asked the lady of the house for a needle and a thread and came toward the light of the candle and began mending my broken rosary the clerk looked at me and asked were you making were you making protestations so earnestly that you, that you even broke your rosary no it was not i who broke it it was a wolf i said really do wolves pray asked the clerk smiling so i gave them the detail of the incident which had just occurred and also explained how valuable the rosary is to me the clerk again smiled and said, You hypocrites always seem uh, miracles. What is holy in what happened? You simply flung the rosary at the wolf and he got scared and ran away. 
Dogs and wolves are afraid when you throw anything at them. And of course, they do not wish to get caught in the woods. There is so much that is happening in the, in the world. Must we believe that everything is miraculous? When the teacher heard this, he joined the conversation and said to the clerk, Don't draw such conclusions, sir. You are not familiar with the subject matter. I see in the narrative of this peasant the mystery of nature, both sensual and spiritual. How is that? asked the clerk. The teacher responded, Though you have not been exposed to the higher learnings, you must have studied the history of the Old and New Testament, published for schools in the form of questions and answers. Do you recall that when the first man, Adam, was in his innocent state, all creation was subject to him, and that the animals approached him with fear, and he named them? The elder to whom this rosary belonged to was a holy man, and holiness is nothing else than the sinner's return from his sinful state to the innocent state of the first man by means of self-discipline. When the soul of a man becomes holy, then the body is holy also, and the rosary which was constantly in the hands of the holy elder became empowered by his touch and spirit. It acquired, so to speak, the power of the first man's innocence. This is what, what we mean by spiritual mystery of nature and all animals. In natural succession, even to this day, feel that power through the sense of smell, since the nose is the chief sensory organ in the, in animals. You learned one, uh, you learned ones can have your wisdom and power, and I take things more simply. I pour a glass of vodka, and when I get it down, then I will have power," said the clerk as he went toward the cupboard. "That is your choice," said the teacher but leave the spiritual domain to us. The words of the teacher pleased me, and I went, I went to him and said, Sir, I take courage to tell you something about my elder. And I proceeded to tell him about my dream and how the elder taught me and how, it marked, how he marked the follicular for me. The teacher listened attentively, and the clerk who was lying on the bench uh, bench cried, It is true from t fr that from... Too much reading of the Bible, one can lose one's wits, and what is and and that is how it is. What kind of ghost would mark your book during the night? You simply pushed the book on the floor in your sleep, and it was marred with soot. Then you have a miracle. Oh, these tricksters! I've seen I've seen very much of your kind, brother. And after muttering this, the clerk turned to the wall, wall and fell asleep. I turned to the teacher and said, If I may, I would like to show you the book which was marked, and you can see that it was not marred with soot. I took the follicular from my knapsack and showed it to him, and, co and commented on the, uh, on the awesomeness of this mystery which enables a soul without a body to pick up a piece of charcoal and write. The teacher examined the marked page and said, This is a spiritual mystery, and I will explain it to you. When the spirits need a physical form in which to appear before a living person, they create a visible body for themselves out of others, and then return it to the atmosphere. With, they return to the atmosphere which they no longer need it, because 
the elements of the atmosphere from which the body is made have have uh, uh, have elasticity. That is, they can expand and contract the soul when it is clothed with these elements and has the ability to perform different actions, including writing. What kind of book is that? May I have a look at it? He took the philica and opened it to the writings of Simon the New Theologian and said, Ah, this is a theological treatise. I have never seen it. Sir, I said, this book is mostly about interior prayer of the heart. It is detailed work of twenty-five holy fathers on prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. I know something about interior prayer, said the teacher, so I bowed to him and asked him to share with me his ideas about interior prayer. It is written in the New Testament that man and all creation serve, vani uh, serve vanity against their will, and that everything naturally groans and struggles to enter into the freedom of God's son, God's sons, the sons of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 20 to 23. This mystery of groaning of creation and the innate aspirations of the soul is interior prayer. There is really not much one can learn about it. It is natural quality in man. But how does one discover it, experience it in one's heart, and consciously practice it so that it can bring comfort and salvation, I asked. I don't know whether anything is written about it in the theological tr uh, tracts, answered the teacher. Well, here it is in this book, I said. The subject is discussed here in great detail. The teacher noted the, the title and said, I will definitely order this book from the, from the bookstore and will study it carefully. Then we parted. When I left that place, I thanked God for the fruitfulness discussion with the teacher, and I prayed for the clerk that God would make it possible for him to read the Philacula at least once, and in that way lead him to salvation. After another incident occurred in the spring, I came to one village and happened to get a lodging with a priest. He was a good man, and he lived alone. After I stayed with him for three days and he had a chance to get to know me a little, he said to me, stay with me and work for me. I need an, I need an honest and a conscientious man. Uh, you see that we are in the process of building a new stone church next to the old wooden one, and I cannot find a trustworthy man who would supervise the workers and also take care of the offerings for the building. I can see that you are the just the man I need, and this job will be conducive to your lifestyle. You can sit alone in the chapel, pray. There's even a special room for the watchman. Please stay at least until the church is finished. At the beginning, I was quite reluctant to stay there, but the priest was so convincing that in the end, I had to agree. So I stayed in the chapel through the summer. And at first I found it peaceful and conducive to pray, even though many people came to the chapel, especially on the feast days. Some came to pray, others to look, and still others to steal something from the collection plate. Sometimes I would be reading the Bible or the Philacula, and, I, and people would walk, talk to me or ask me to read something for them. When I had been there for some time, I noticed a peasant girl coming to the chapel frequently and praying for long periods of time. Since her voice was audible, I realized that she was saying some strange unorthodox prayers, and I asked where she learned them. She replied that she learned it from she learned them from her pious mother, 
but that her father was a schismatic who belonged to a sect without priest without a priesthood. I was sad to hear this, and I suggested that she pray correctly, that is, according to the tradition of the church. I explained the Our Father and the Hail Mary to her, and also said, recite the Jesus Prayer frequently, for it is the most efficacious of all prayers, and through it you can work out your salvation. The girl readily accepted my advice, and all simplicity began to do what I told her, and guess what happened? After a little while, she told me that she began to, she came so accustomed to the Jesus prayer that she had the inclination to pray continuously, that she experienced consolation and joy when she prayed, and that when she stopped, she had the desire to pray again. I was happy to hear this and suggested that she continue to pray more frequently in the name of Jesus Christ. All right. So, um, let's continue. All right, we stopped off where she, um, where he was talking to this young woman, teaching her how to pray um, quietly in the name of Jesus Christ. The end of summer was approaching. Now many of the people who visited the chapel came not only for me to read to them or to ask for advice, but they came with all kinds of human problems and even in search of lost articles. <laughs> they seem to regard me as a seer or a prophet. They already they already mentioned uh the already mentioned village girl also came with a problem. Her father had decided to marry her to a, a schismatic uh by a lay person instead of a priest. What kind? It seemed like they're Protestants here. What kind of lawful wedding is that? She exclaimed. It is the same as fornication. I am ready to run. I am ready to run away and go where my eyes will lead me. Will lead. I said to her, "Where will you run? They will quite quickly find you. It is not possible for you to hide and to be. You know, it it is not possible for you to hide and not be found. You had better pray to God with great fervor." about this so that your father has a change of heart and will guard your soul from heresy and sin. This will be much more beneficial than running away. As time went on, things became unbearable for me in this in the chapel. It was noisy and distracting. Then finally the summer ended and I decided to leave the chapel and continue with my journey as before. I approached the priest and began to explain you know my situation, Father? I need silence for prayer, but here it is quite distracting for me. I kept my word and stayed through the summer. Now please give me your blessing for my solitary journey. The priest was unwilling to let me go and try to talk me out of have leaving. What interferes with your prayers here? You don't have any kind of work besides sitting in the chapel. That is an easy way to earn your bread. And you can pray day and night there, brother, and listen, really live with God. Okay, let me read that one more time. I kind of botched it a little bit. The priest was unwilling to let me go and try to talk me out of leaving. What interferes with your prayers here? You don't have any kind of work besides sitting in the chapel. It is an easy way to earn your bread, and you can pray day and night there, brother and really 
live with God. This place really needs you. When people come to the chapel, you don't speak nonsense with them. And the offerings for the church has incre- have increased. This work is more meritorious before God than your solitary prayer. What do you get from solitude? It is more joyful to pray with other people. God did not create man to be alone, to be preoccupied with himself. People should help one another and lead one another towards salvation in whatever way they can. Look at the saints and the universal teachers. They bustled and worked for the church day and night. They preached everywhere and did not sit in solitude and did not hide from people. Father, everyone has a gift from God, I I said. There were many preachers, but also many hermits. Each one followed his inclination and believed that God himself was directing him on his spiritual journey. And what will you say about the saints who left their religious communities and flew to the desert for solitude so that they could be distracted by people? St. Isaac Vassir left his bishopric for this reason, and venerable Athanasius of Athens gave up his large monastery because these places were for for them a source of temptation and because they truly believed the words of the, of Christ what then will a man gain if he wins the whole world and ru- ruin, uh, ru- ruins his life Matthew 16 verse 26 but they were saints said the priest if the saints if the saints uh, I answered, were careful not to be spiritually ruined by their association with people then what remains for the great sinner to do So in the end, this good priest lovingly sent me on my way. After walking 10 miles, I stopped in a village for the night. There was, there was a desperately ill peasant at the place where I stayed. And I suggested to, suggested to to those attending him that they make arrangements for him to receive Holy, the Holy Eucharist. They agreed. And in morning, they sent for the village priest. I decided to stay behind to show my respect for the Holy gifts and also to pray before the awesome mystery. I came out into the street, sat down on a mound, and waited for the priest to arrive. All of a sudden, the girl who was who used to pray in the chapel so frequently came running to me from the backyard. How did you get here? I asked. The day was set for my marriage to that schismatic, so I decided to run away. Then she bowed deeply to me and continued, Please be kind and take me with you and help me get to some convent. I don't want to get married. I want to live in a convent and recite the Jesus prayer. Some convent will accept me if you will intercede for me. Please, I said, where can I take you? I do not know of even one convent in this area, and how can you come with me when you don't have a passport? I don't think they that you have a chance of being accepted anywhere, and there is no place to hide at this time. They will quickly find you, return to your home, and even punish you for vagrancy. You had better go home and pray to God. If you, and if you don't want to get married, then find, um, then fake some kind of illness. This is this is called using a saving pretense, which is what mothers. St. Clamanta and Venerable Marana, Mariana did when they took refuge in a men's monastery, as they did many others. While we sat there and talked, from four men came riding a horse, carrying down, uh, 
carriage down the road and they headed straight toward us. They took the girl, they took the girl, set her in the carriage with one of the men and sent them off. And the other three tied my hands and took me back to the village where I had spent the summer. To my, to all my attempts to explain, they only cried, you hypocrite, we will teach you how to deceive girls. Toward evening, they brought me to the village court put my feet in stocks and placed me in jail until morning when they when they would have the trial. When my priest friend heard that I was in jail, he came to visit me, brought me supper and comforted me and said that my spiritual father, as my spiritual father, he would defend my character. He spent some time with me and then left. Later that evening, the district judge came through the village and stopped to visit the deputy. He was told what happened, and he decided to take care of the matter that very evening, so they brought me to the courtroom. We waited for a while before the judge came, and with and with his hat still on, he, he, still on, 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 on he, he sat down and shouted, uh, Ephraim, did, you, did your daughter take anything from your house? Nothing, sir. Is she guilty of anything indecent with this fool? No, sir. Well, then, this is what we'll do. You take care of your daughter yourself, and we will give a, uh, and we will give a lesson to this young man tomorrow, and then release him with strict orders never to return to this village again. This is all. After saying this, the judge left the room and went to sleep, and I was placed in jail again. In the morning, with the police commissioner and his assistant uh, came, gave me a beating, and then released me. I left the village, praising God that I was found worthy to suffer for his name. This made me happy and in intensified the prayer of the heart within me. All that had happened seemed not to affect me. It was as if I had watched something, someone else being so treated. And when they flogged me, the prayer strengthened and consoled me, and I was oblivious of, of everything. After I walked about four miles, I met the mother of the unwilling bride coming home from the market with her shopping. She said to me, the groom renounced our daughter. He got mad because uh, Al-Kuka ran away from him. She then gave me some bread and pastry and I went on my way. The weather was pleasant and I did not care to sleep in any village. Instead, I stopped in the woodland where I saw two sacks of hay fenced in there and I made myself comfortable for the night. When I fell asleep, I had a dream in which I was going down the road reading the account of Anthony the Great in the Philaclia. All of a sudden, my late elder caught up with me and said, Don't read that, but this, as he pointed to the following words in chapter 35 of John of Carapothus. Sometimes the teacher, some, sometimes the teacher falls into disrespect and suffers trials for those whom he helps spiritually. And then he showed me chapter 40 where it says, Those who assertively apply themselves to prayer are free from, ter uh, from terrible and fierce temptations. He continued and said, Be awake in the spirit and don't grow faint. Remember what the Apostle John said, you have, it, you have in you one who is greater than anyone in this world. 
the first letter of John, chapter four, chapter four, verse four. Now you have realized that no trial is greater than a man's strength, and with with any trial he will give you a way out of it, and the strength to bear it. First Corinthians chapter ten, verse thirteen. It was this trust in God's help which strengthened the saints and led them to greater fervor in prayer. They passed their lives in ceaseless prayer, not only for themselves, but out of love for others. Whenever it was possible, they taught and showed this to others. Writing about this subject, St. Gregory Palmas said, Not only should we fulfill God's commandments to pray in the name of Jesus Christ unceasingly, but we should also show this method of prayer to everyone, to the religious to lay people, to the wise and the simple, to men and women and children. In all, without exception, we should try to awaken zeal for ceaseless prayer. Venerable Celestus Telecatus writes in a, in a similar way and says that neither the result of interior prayer, of contemplation, nor any method of raising the soul to God should be kept for oneself alone. Rather, they should be written down for the it should be written down for the good of all. And of course, Holy Scripture also reminds us of this responsibility. Brother helped by brother is a fort is a fortress uh, is, is a fortress. Friends are like the bars of a keep. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19. But under all such circumstances, it is necessary to flee from vainglory and to guard one's soul that the seed of learning about God would not go to the wind. When I woke, my heart was full of joy and my soul full of strength, and I continued with my journey. After some time, another incident occurred which I would like to share with you. It was the 24th of March, and I had an overwhelming desire to receive the Holy Eucharist on the following day, the Feast of the Annunciation of the Mother of God. I asked about the nearest church, and as it was about 30 miles away, I walked the rest of the day and night in order to make it in time for matins. The weather was unusually bad. It rained and snowed, and it was also windy and cold. At one point, it was necessary for me to cross a small brook. And I, as I came to the middle of it, the ice under my feet broke, and I fell. I find myself in water up to my waist, and thus, thus extremely wet. I came for matin. I stayed for the liturgy and received Holy Communion. In order to spend that day in complete peace with no interference to my spiritual joy, I asked permission from the Saxton of the church to stay in the guardhouse till the next day. I spent the whole day in unspeakable joy and sweetness of heart. I lay on the blanket bed for, the un, uh, for, the, for this unheated room intensely absorbed in prayer and as happy as, it, as, as if I were resting in the bosom of Abraham. Love for Jesus Christ and Mother of God surged in my heart like sweet waves, and my soul was immersed in joyful ecstasy. Only during the night when I felt a great aching in my legs did I remember how wet they were. I began to concentrate on the prayer of the heart even more intensely until I lost all awareness of pain. But in the morning when I wanted to get up, I realized I could not move my legs. They were completely numb and stiff. 
With difficulty, the Saxon pulled me off the bed and sat, and I sat there for two days without moving. On the third day, the Saxon wanted to be rid of me and said, What trouble will we have if you die here? So very, so very slowly, I pulled myself on my hands and lay, and lay on the steps of the church. For two days, I lay there asking for help, but no one paid the least attention to me. Then finally, a peasant came by who sat down next to me and began to talk. When he realized what was wrong with me, he said, what will, you, what will you give me if I cure you? I suffered from the same malady, and I know what medicine will cure it. I have nothing to give you, I answered. And what do you have in your knapsack, I, I, he asked. Only dry bed, bread and books. What will you work? Then will you work for me for at least one summer if I cure you? I cannot work, for as you see, I have only one good hand, and the other is almost completely withered. Well, is there anything else you can do? He answered, nothing really except read and write. Ah, write. So then teach me, teach my son how to write. He can read a little, and I would like for him to learn how to write also, but a tutor's fee is twenty rubles. So I agreed to the man's proposal, and with the help of the Saxon, he brought me to his old empty barn. He then, he then began his curing process. In the fields, in the backyards, and rubbish heaps, he collected a buck full of various kinds of uh, putrid bones of animals and birds. He washed the bones and with a stone broke them into small pieces and placed them in a large earthen pot, which he covered with a lid that had a slit in, the, in it. Then he turned this pot upside down into the another empty pot, which he had placed in a hole in the ground and covered it completely with dirt. On top of this, he arranged a pile of wood and made a fire which burned for 24 hours. While adding wood to the fire, he said to me, these bones will produce some tar. On the following day, he dug up the pot from the ground with about a pint full of thick, reddish, oily liquid with a strong odor as of raw meat. The formerly putrid bones were now white and transparent like a mother of pearl. He told me, to smear my legs with this liquid five times a day. And this is what happened. After 24 hours, I felt that I could move my toes. On the third day, I could bend my legs. On the fifth day, I got up with the help of a cane. I walked across the yard in, in, a, in, in a word. Within a week, my legs were completely well as before. I thank God for this for this blessing and thought what great wisdom is hidden in God's creation. Dry, putrid, putrid bones which had almost turned to dust contained such vital power, color and smell which brings life to lifeless body. This is proof of the resurrection of the body, I thought, and I would have liked to tell this to the ranger with whom I lived. And perhaps in this way, dispel his doubts about the resurre about the resurrection after being healed in this way i began to teach the young the youngster how to write i used the words of the jesus prayer as a sample for writing and showed the boy how to join letters and form words it was quite easy for me to teach him because during the day he worked for an 
a state manager and came for a lesson only when the manager slept, that is, from dawn to late morning. The boy caught on quickly and began to write in a short while. The man from he, whom he worked noticed that the boy could write, and he asked me, who was teaching you how to write? The youngster replied, a wanderer without, with, with, without one arm who lives in our old barn. The manager was Polish, got curious, and came to see me one day. He found me reading the phylactery and said, what are you reading? I showed him the book, and he explained, Ah, it is the Philacula. When I lived in Valina, our parish priest had a copy of this book. However, I heard that the book describes tricks and strange formulas for prayer, that it was written by a Greek monks, that the method of prayer which it advocates are similar to those practiced in India and Bukharia, where the, um, the enthusiasts for prayer try to achieve a tickling of the heart by means of breathing. They foolishly consider this a natural form of prayer revealed to them by God. I think that we should pray simply and the goal of our prayer should be should be to pay our debts to God. Then he got up and recited the Our Father as Christ had taught. This prayer is sufficient for the whole day, he said, but to ceaselessly repeat the same words can drive one mad and ruin the heart. All right, I'm going to stop here. This chapter is very long, but let's review a little bit what we've learned. I mean, it's true. You cannot keep uh, the Christian life to yourself. You can't keep the gospel to yourself, right? Um, and at the same time, we we learned that he had to completely surrender himself to God. He had to completely learn to surrender and he and he basically travels he goes from town to town and he finally he encountered uh obstacles he had his um he got robbed by two soldiers who stole his bible and his um the book uh the book of the teachings of the fathers called the philaclia and he then he encountered another man who uh, an officer who had an alcohol problem, who drank and got into trouble and he lost his uh, officer position. He was reduced down to a, uh, uh, a, a lower level. But then he also met a monk. Now, remember there was in the beginning, he was questioning which is more uh, effective, the Jesus prayer or the gospels, the four gospels. They both are. One is an expression of the other, and he's right. The the Hail Mary, which they believe in, they practice the Hail Mary also, is effective. It is an expression of the gospel. The Jesus Prayer is an expression of the gospel. The Our Father is a summary of the gospel. All Christian prayer is a summary of the gospel. There's not one greater than the other, not one lesser than the other. And that is something that is important that we all should learn. The Jesus prayer is not greater than the Hail Mary and the Hail Mary is not greater than the Jesus prayer. All prayer is important. All prayer. And for him, this worked. This worked. And he began, God, kept, God, uh, God began to put him in places where he can be effective and useful. Solitude, complete solitude, even for a monk is absolutely impossible. At some point, 
a Christian is not a Christian alone. You can't, there's no such thing as a Christian by themselves. You are a Christian by being around with others. And like St. Paul says in the Corinthians, we are all members of one body. He has to be, he has to allow himself. We all have to allow ourselves. We have to allow ourselves for Christ to work through us so we can help others. Our purpose is to nourish the rest of the body of Christ, to help others. The same way he was effective for that monk, that hermit, who had fear of the end of the world, but unfortunately he probably didn't know how to read. I don't think he knew how to read. And he taught the Jesus prayer to that man. He shared the gospel with him. He showed him there was hope. It's not just fear of judgment, but it's also to live the Christian life. And then he he wound up being useful in that chapel. And there was that girl who appeared to her father, belonged to some kind of Protestant form of sect. And, she, her, and he taught her the Jesus prayer. And then, of course, he suffered unfortunate circumstances where she wanted to run away and then she wound and running away she wound up unfortunately causing him a problem because he wound up people began to think he was seducing her or what it turns out nothing really happened and and he was whipped unjustly whipped but he wound up being helpful to her one way or another everyone has to be helpful everyone has to be serves a purpose within the christian life and in this case, he served a purpose. He helped. He And we have to learn to do the same thing. But we also have to learn how to pray. I like the story of the officer who read the gospel. To him, the gospels were a cure for his alcoholism. And I think it is important to read the Bible, to read scripture, and to pray. Um, his situation helped. The Gospels helped him. A monk came to the officer and told him about, my brother had a drinking problem too, and some monk helped him with the Gospel. Everyone helps somebody, and Christ works through us for others. It isn't just praying alone. Yes, it is good to pray and to be alone. There is a time for prayer, but there's also a time where you got to exercise charity, love for others. And even monks have to get out of their monastery and go out and encounter other people so they can remember that we're human beings. The priest is right. Man is not meant to be left alone. But you have to at least serve a purpose. Once in a while, you got to go and exercise charity, love, and, and be Christ for others. And this is what the pilgrim is learning. All right, I'm going to end it here and I'll get back. Um, we'll get back again to this page. I'll probably have to read this again. Uh, let me see. I'll come. Okay. All right, I want to stop in this and I'll read this passage again next time, but we're going to have to end it here. It's a lot longer than I thought, the second chapter. It's practically almost the whole book, it seems, but this is really a great book and you should get it. Uh, you can get it on Amazon Kindle or you can order it on hard copy, The Way of the Pilgrim.
It's really very good. And uh, soon we're going to be entering Lent. Ash Wednesday is coming up really quick. Today is the 1st of February, and February is a short month. And we'll um, we'll um, we'll go into uh, Lent soon. So um, it's a good. This is a good way of starting. All right. So God bless and be well.